All right, how many are ready for the word of the Lord today? You know, uh, um, a couple months ago, uh, you, know, I, you know, we're always seeking God and praying and trying to figure out, you know, what direction God wants us to do for messages. And sometimes there's single messages, sometimes there's series. And, uh, you know, I really felt that, you know, God had said that he wanted us to do a, a series on rejection. And, uh, you know, and, and there's certain topics, right, you know, that, you, you know, when you hear about you're just like, you know, you don't necessarily want to preach every type of, you know, message, you know, that, that comes your particular way. You know, it's just like I always warn people, it's like, you don't always want to pray, you don't always want to preach on patience because typically when you're preaching on patience, you know what you get tested in? patience you know so it's the same thing when you're dealing with rejection you know these are often things that you experience you know quite a bit throughout uh you know your life right and many of you as you know have experienced you know rejection so i want to get started you know with this it says you know when i was about 12 years you know old i, I experienced some life events that kind of just had a, a long lasting effect on me you know i can remember you know it was it was december 23 so this was just kind of you know right two days before Christmas, okay? I, I, I'm out, it was, it was a normal night, we were, it was a Tuesday night, how, how's this? I can remember what day it was, it was a Tuesday night. We were out roller skating at Wheels. How many of you guys remember Wheels? Right, so we were there, it was a family thing, we used to go every week, you know, I'm there, life was good, you know, I'm with my parents, I'm with my brothers, I'm with, uh, you know, my extended family, we're just, you know, rolling around listening to the Imperials, uh, you know, I, the, my favorite song back then was, was Skating to Boys Only, The Trumpet of Jesus, right, it was like one of the things I used to request every week, and, um, but you know what, something unexpected happened to me that day. Right, and there was there was a there was a conversation that took place between my father and my mother, and uh, you know some sort of sorts took place, and and basically my mom walked out the the roller rink doors that day, and she never came back, and so that there was was something that was was quite impactful, you know, to me, right? You know, and a lot of times when this stuff happens, you know, parents of course they tell their children, you know, oh, it's not about you, and and all those other things, but you know, what what ended up happening though in that case, right, is is that you know, there was a, a, a rejection, you know, that, that took place, right? Despite the words that took place, there, there was this, the, the rejection that took place um, from my father, but it also carried over to myself as well. And, and I remember it, it was just something that, that took place um, and it changed, right? Something just kind of changed on the inside that particular day. How many of you know what you know what I'm talking about, right? When you've had some of these big things. You know, so the following days, they turned into to weeks and they turned into months and, and even into years. And you know what? I was hurting. And I was struggling to recover and find something that was lost uh, that just couldn't be found. And, uh, you know, Pastor Barb, you know, uh, used to you counsel me and, you know, uh, for, for many Many, 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 many times, and for many, many years. You all know Pastor Barb likes to talk, so um, she still calls me up to, to counsel me. Uh, but nonetheless, right, it was just, but, but I made some progress, but you know what, my, my hearts and my wounds, they, they were still, they just, they didn't leave. Uh, they, they were there, I couldn't shake the pain, it carried me, you know, where I went. You know, when all this was going on, you know, my father's job was in jeopardy, 
at the particular time. So uh, when that was going on, you know, many people in the congregation, you know, started to, you know, reject my father over this particular. But the reality is, is that even though they were, he was being rejected, we also felt rejected as, as children and as an entirety of a family. He then went through, you know, so another process, you know, where he got remarried and, you know, this was supposed to be, you know, a joyous season, you know, of celebration and yet it turned into another season of rejection and more of our spiritual family and more people just walking out of our particular life. And um, anyways, I just, I, and, and all of these particular things that just kind of kept reinforcing over and over to me uh, you know, that mindset of being unwanted and a rejected soul. You guys can relate, you know, to what I'm talking about. You know, here's the thing is, I'd love to say, even in the moments here, you know, that it was, you know, something that was just quick and like, that it just, you know, I, I got over it, you know, in a matter of a few days. And Pastor Barb will attest to you that I, that I didn't. You know, um, what ended up happening was, is I started, you know, just shutting down different ways emotionally, right? I, I had to start figuring out a way to protect myself and, you know, she used a, a quote, which I didn't realize at the time, but it was from a movie, Sabrina, that she had watched, which was, and she referred to me, you know, as the world's only living heart donor. And, and it just referred to the fact of how cold, right, and, uh, that, that I had been in order to really work with, you know, that isolation on the inside. And so what happened, though, was is that there was a really, what had, uh, a root of rejection that had really entered in that particular day. And it affected all of my relationships, Right? It affected everything that went on in my life. Everything started being seen through that. You know, even as I went through, you know, dating years later, I started, you know, you experience rejection over and over again. And I, and I was like, when will it ever end? I needed it to end. How many of you know you've been, you're, you're like, I, I need this to end, you know? I need it to, to move on, but, but it continued. You know what? Rejection often always does continue. Okay, you know, as I said, it, it, it's not like it, it, it's just like a one and done thing, right? Rejection is often a, a cyclical thing. And I, you know what, I could stand up here, I could preach for you 52 sermons this year on story after story about rejection. Okay, and because they, they happen, it's, it's part of life. It's, it's things that greatly have affected, you know, myself. They're greatly have affected my family. They're greatly, they're things that have affected my children, right? And, and those who are around me. And then I'm certain to said, if I've experienced a lot of these things, how many of you have experienced them as well? So Psalms 34, 19, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. You know, I love this particular passage because in the passage it says the word affliction, which means not only adversity, evil, harm, but it means hurtful, sorrowful, grievous, or sad. How many know when you go through rejection, what do you feel? You feel hurtful, you feel sad, you feel grievous, right? These are all parts of it. But the second half of that verse kicks in and it says, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And see, God's story didn't end with me in the midst of the affliction. It didn't end in just the midst of the pain, right? But, you know, but I had to deal with the root of rejection in my life for the healing to be able to take place. Like I said again, it didn't end there but I had to deal with the root of rejection in order for the healing to be able to take place because then I would be able to approach future rejections in a different way, in a different capacity, not allowing the roots, right, to be able to take place uh, in my life, right? I had to be able to then move forward to be able to continue to walk in the love of God and, and have it manifested in my life towards other individuals, right? And so today, what are we gonna do? 
We're going to spend some time working on talking about rejection and unpacking this, unpacking God's love, his hope, his deliverance, his acceptance for us. Now, you have written down here that I'm supposed to share a story of rejection. I did, I did. But um, due to the sensitivity of that subject, I'm not going to share any stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We've all been through rejection, right? You know, just even as Pastor Brian's talking about is that, you know, I could stand up here and I could tell you about, you know, probably on a daily basis, the rejection that I've walked through. You guys could probably all come up here and share on a daily basis the rejection that you've all walked through. And we know that this happens because it even happened to Christ when he was here on the earth. And we can see in uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He understands. It says he's acquainted with grief. He understands walking through grief. It says, And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. This is Christ who, when he went to the cross for us, he experienced rejection so that we didn't have to, not just so that we didn't have to, but so that when we did experience rejection, that we would have the tools to be able to walk through it. See, here's the thing is that we live in a fallen world. And so we know that there are things that are going to happen on our everyday life. We, we're not exempt from experiencing the, the, the cares and the faults of this world because we are alive in this place, in this moment. But we have God with us who has paved the way for us. He went to the cross. He died on the cross so that we could have life and we could have life more abundantly and that we could have the power and we could have the tools to be able to walk through the things that the enemy would throw in our pathway and we could get through it victorious because he says we are fighting from a place of victory because he went to the cross. So it says, what, you know, what is rejection, basically? You know, like, we, we, you guys are all nodding your heads. You guys all, you know, when I say the word rejection, you guys all have a thought process of what that means and what, what you've experienced that to be. But what really is rejection? And it means to refuse to accept to or to consider, to submit to, to take for some purpose or to use. To refuse to throw away as having no value. That was the one that just kind of like hit me. Anybody ever feel like that before where you just walked away from a situation you just felt like you had no value? Like you didn't even matter. The world could pass away. Nobody would even know that you were there. You ever felt like that before? This is what it's talking about. It says um, not to use or even to notice. And I think basically the best way that we can sum this up is what we've titled the service today, Unwanted. How many of you guys have ever in your entire life felt unwanted? I feel like every single person can raise their hands, right? And, you know, we've walked through this. Even, you know, when we're young, we walk through these types of things where, you know, you're in, in school and they're picking teams and you're, you know, maybe you're not the sporty type and you're just waiting and you're just like, I don't really want to play this game, but I've got to. And then they're picking and then you know that they know that, they, that you don't play sports and so you know that you're not their first choice. And they go through all the people back and forth and you can see they're even taking the kid who, who you know nobody likes because he plays better than you do. And then you get down to the last one and you're just standing there and you're rejected. You know that you're just picked because you're the last pick by default, right? As a kid, that's rejection. That's what you experience. Or how many have watched cartoons where, you know, there's like an assembly line and, you know, the package is being filled with, you know, the goods and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden something happens and the box gets destroyed. And then all of a sudden this big stamp comes down, rejected. And then it's tossed off in the garbage. 
And sometimes that's how we feel when we've been re rejected or unwanted, is that we feel that we have that stamp on our life of, you're no good, and you just belong in the garbage. And then we begin to believe that in our mind. Well, you're garbage anyways. Nobody wants you. It doesn't really matter. And we start to internalize the one thing that happens that maybe wasn't even meant to be rejection, but you experienced it as rejection. And in that moment, all of a sudden, everything looks like rejection. Just even as Melanie was talking this morning, I really liked what she said when she's saying that, you know, when somebody points something out, and all of a sudden you begin seeing it everywhere. And how that works for the goodness of God, and when you start pointing out the goodness of God, you start seeing that everywhere you go. Well, if you walk through rejection, and you, then you start seeing rejection everywhere you go, and you start to begin to internalize it and think that that's a part of who you are. So I want you to look at the one next to you, and you want, I want you to say, it may have started here. May have started here. But it doesn't finish here. It doesn't finish here. We're uh, just getting started. We're just getting started. So <laughs> the Bible speaks about a man named David. How many know a man named David in the Bible? We all do. And it says here that he, he was a man who we know experienced all kinds of rejection in his life. This was a man who had a heavy dose of rejection, uh, you know, from his early childhood all the way through his adulthood. This was circumstances after circumstances that he experienced. But the thing about David, and it says in Acts 13.22, and it says that when he had removed him, he said, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. Here's the thing. Just because David experienced rejection in his life, he was found to be a man after God's own heart. It didn't debilitate him. It didn't take him out. He ended up continuing to do the work of the Lord and follow after what he was called to be able to do. I want to read in Psalms 51.5, and this is David who's writing, and it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In Psalm 69.8, it says, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. When you look at these particular passages, it gives us an understanding even of the circumstances of which even David was born. It basically says what? It says that he was basically born in sin. It doesn't give us the specifics of what that may be, but it, it gives us the context that essentially what happened was that he was born out of the basic understanding of the Jewish practices of that time. Of that time. Most likely, he was born in adultery. And this is what he, he came into. And when he ended up being in these circumstances, it, 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 he, he, he wasn't celebrated. It says that he was an alien, he was alienated from you know, his mother's children, the other people in the household. His very presence you know, became a problem because the problem was the way that he even came into the world itself. And so all of this was circulating around. This is the way that he, brought, he was brought up. This is the way that he was raised. This is the way that he was thought of. And so when we see David come onto the scene, it, it, it gives us, in 1 Samuel 16, it gives us even more revelation about what's going on inside the household. And it says, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest who is out keeping the sheep. There's a whole lot that's said in that whole one verse. There's a whole lot implied. Here you got the man of God, the prophet Samuel that came into town. Now, if this, this was a big deal 
when the man of God comes into town. And here on top of this, it wasn't just a big deal because the man of God was coming into town, but there was a conversation that went on with Jesse to actually communicate the fact that they were anointing the next king of Israel. He brings all of, the kid, the, all of his king uh, into the household because there's a process that's going to go on where the next king of Israel is going to be anointed. And so here we have this big deal that's going on, and David isn't even in the household. His presence was not welcome in the celebration. He was to be out there taking care of the sheep. He was an outcast within his own family. And this is the circumstances that he had found himself in. You know, sometimes we're, we find ourselves orphans or we find ourselves abandoned, you know, you know physically by our parents. Okay, sometimes, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's that you're, you're orphaned. Your, your parents walk out on you. Your parents leave. But there's also the emotional abandonment. There's also the orphan, right, who's even in a house but isn't really part of the house. Your presence isn't welcome. You're a problem just being here. And that there is what David was finding himself particularly in. And, and that there can affect you even from within the womb, right? You know, where in, in individuals, right, you know, can find themselves even pregnant and not wanting the pregnancy. And then that can be even felt within the womb, right? Or you can be, you know, maybe in a blended home and you're blended into a marriage, your parents blend together in a marriage situation and you're not wanted as a child that comes into the household. These are all types of rejections that your presence is not even welcomed. And um, I, I love the story of David, and not because he's been rejected over and over again, but because despite the fact that he's been rejected over and 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 over again, you guys get the point? Um, he doesn't let that stop him from doing God's will. Like, I'm reading through this story, and I'm like, you know, in the, in the story that, you know, he's talking about, it really, it shows the heart, really, of his father and what's going on with his father, right? And so this is the relationship between David and his father is that he probably felt like, my dad doesn't even want me. Like, here we have that, you know, there's some important situations happening. The next king of Israel is coming, and they've said it's going to come from the house of Jesse, so you would think that all of the kids of Jesse would be able to come and be presented before the man of God. But what happens? David's out isolated in the field taking care of the sheep because that's where he was put by his father. Like, could you imagine the rejection that you would feel? First of all, just knowing that you're isolated. But second of all, knowing that something so important is happening in your household that you weren't even a thought in that moment. And, and really, that whole, you know, Pastor Brian was talking about that, is that he was living in this almost orphan state where he was kind of just, like, not really a part of the family. And it didn't just show what was going on with the father, but it also showed what was going on with his brothers, right? His brothers, they, they were mocking him. They didn't even, like, have any thought for him. And, uh, and if we go to 1 Samuel 17, 28 to 29... Um, it says, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I just, I, I feel like I want to stop there because here David, like I don't know if you guys know the story, but David is like, his thought is, my brothers are at war 
And so even though he's experienced rejection, his thought is, my brothers are at war. They probably need something. So he's bringing them food. He's bringing them provision. He's bringing them supplies. And when he gets down there, what he's met with is, would you even come down here for? Who'd you leave those few sheep with? It shows how they even thought about belittling what he actually did. He goes on to say, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. Like, we really know what you're all about. Has anybody ever said that to you? We really know what you're about. But inside you're like, like, ouch, if you really knew what I was about, you would know that this is not what I'm doing. And, and I can imagine that this is what David's probably feeling. And it says, and David says, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Like, could you imagine being belittled, falsely accused, intimidated? And, and I, I want to stop there for a second. This isn't in the notes, but I feel that there's a spirit of intimidation that's out in the world right now. And I feel that there is, a, there is something that is happening where there's, um, I'll use the term witchcraft, okay? I'm just going to go right into it. I believe that there is witchcraft where the enemy is using intimidation to, be, to try to control God's people. And he's trying to get in and through believers. And he's trying to work believers against believers. See, God's kingdom works in unity. And the enemy's trying to get in with the spirit of intimidation where he's, he's trying to hover it over your head. Like, you know, um, I, I, I don't even know. But if you've ever been intimidated, you know what I'm talking about. And maybe this is happening in your life right now where you feel that there is this intimidation that's just going on. And you don't know how to get past it. Do you know how you get past the intimidation? is that you don't keep it hidden. You let, you let the enemy know that you walk in the light, and his tactics of intimidation cannot overcome what God has called you to do. David didn't let the intimidation of the enemy stop him from what God had called him to do. See, David didn't even know in this moment that he was meant to go on and kill Goliath. He didn't even know in this moment what he was actually called to do. All he knew was that he was following what he was supposed to do, which was taking care of the sheep. And as he's taking care of the sheep and he's following God's will and as he's following God's voice, what he's doing is he's hearing and he's saying, no, I'm not going to let this intimidation stop me from walking in God's will. He still heard God's voice. The intimidation didn't stop him from hearing God's voice. And I feel like God is saying, don't let the enemy's intimidation stop you from hearing God's voice. Yeah, and I think in that whole circumstance that took place, it was words. Words that Iliab spoke over David. You know what? They're powerful. You know, and, and how many times those words that are spoken over our lives have an effect on you and the, uh, that effect on that rejection and, uh, and, and over and over and over and, 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 it, and it continues and it continues. And that was what was taking place in David's life. And, and I think that many people, right, have even found, you know, they've grown up into households, right? And, and, you know, this child, you know, was the one who got all the attention and this one here didn't get any attention and this one here was praised and this one here was rejected by not only the parents in the household, but also by the siblings that were around. And those are the words that were spoken, and they were brought up over and over. You know, my, my father and my, my son this year had both went through some serious injuries this past year. And uh, my son, he went through an injury with his wrist. It broke his, you know, I've, I've shared this a little bit, he broke his, one of his carpal bones, which is a scaphoid. And, and what ended up happening was, is that the bone actually wasn't, it wasn't caught that it was broken, right? The, the scaphoid bone and when it broke it actually broke in in half and then it uh, came back together and healed in the wrong formation 
okay? So this is what ended up happening with his bone. And as a result of that, he had no ability to be able to actually use his wrist in the capacity that God had created it to be able to be moved in. Now, my father went through another circumstance, right, where he, he thought it would be adventurous to be able to jump off of a stage. And, uh, you know, apparently this was something that, you know, you used to do when you were in your 20s, but when you're, we'll say, a little older than that, it changes some. So he jumped off the stage and he broke his heel, okay? And now what's happened is, is that there's a wound that went on on the inside that was broken, Okay, but there was also a wound that went on on the outside. So first of all, in both of those cases, they had to have a surgery to be able to fix and correct the broken bone. In Vincent's case, they had to be able to actually re-break the bone, realign it. They had to put in a screw. They had to take a bone graft out of the wrist and be able to put it all in and reform it into the right place, okay? And the reason why it, this is so relevant for us right now is, is that when you get spiritually wounded with rejection, okay, there's a wound that takes place on the inside that it also can manifest out on the outside, okay? And if you allow that wound to take place and not be properly corrected, you're going to heal in a manner that is not in the correct positioning that you need to. And when that happens, you've now found yourself limited in the ability to be able to do what you are supposed to do. You hear me on that? So now on my father's part of this, and that's what happened with Vincent, but on my father's part, here's the thing. He's been, he, he's been going out almost every day and that out, there's also the outward wound and scar. He had to put a plate into his foot and that outward scar okay, as now had to go through all kinds of, it had stitches in it, has to go through cleaning, it had to go through scraping, and, and all of this pro thing, this is something he's had to go to almost like day, almost every other day he's been going through. And you know what I've been hearing from him? It's the most painful thing that he has ever experienced in his life. It, it, it's not just the breaking that took place, because it's already been broken and, and repaired. But now that, that outward piece, right, has been so persistent and so, so much uh, resistance to the actual process that in order for it to be able to grow, that uh, heal properly, it needs all kinds of work and care, and it has been very, very painful. And I think that's part of what we, we need to be aware of, right? Is when we have that untreated spiritual wound, things grow back, but the wound still stays underneath the surface. How many of you ever hurt yourself before and it never actually got fixed proper? And you're still walking around, not just spiritually, but physically, right? And, and you have this underneath the surface, it's there, and you've managed to manage it but it's not doing what it's supposed to be able to do. I feel like I have one more even on, on that thought process is that maybe you have experienced a wound and you've gone for help to be able to work through it, to process through it, but it, you didn't realize it wasn't the right help that you needed and that process that you encountered actually caused more damage to the wound than, um, than if you were to go to somebody who is knowledgeable in that. And I feel that right now there is, there is something that is going around in society right now where it, it is very much that um, you know, leaders are not needed right? Your spiritual leaders are not needed. And spiritual leaders are the ones who are able to, they're like doctors. 
they're knowledgeable in being able to help you process through things. So if you're going through a hurt, even if you've been hurt by the leader, you are still, they are still capable of helping you to process through because the job as a leader is to point you back to God. It's not, it's not about who we are as people. It's about what we're doing to help you get back to the shepherd. And so if you've walked through a wound where you have um, gone to somebody, and maybe, maybe it was just, you know, somebody, a friend, a family, or somebody, and then you've walked away from that and you feel that you have been, uh, you're, you've been left in a worse place than you were before. That happened with my knee. I, I went in for a simple clean up my meniscus uh, on my knee, and I was supposed to walk out of there and be completely brand new within six weeks. Well, within six weeks, I couldn't walk, and I was in much more pain than I was previously. And what I found out was that what they did was they went in and they took out all the cartilage of my knee. And so I was left bone on bone. And I believe that that's a spiritual thing that has gone on in the body of Christ is people going to people and, and trying to share their wound, trying to see if something that they can do that, that they can do to help, but what they feel that is helpful is actually sitting there and agreeing with the wound. And, and, and by doing that, you're starting to take the, the necessary things for your life to operate properly. They're removing that. They're removing all of that protection. They're removing all of that cushion. They're removing all of that. So I'm just going to encourage you, if you've been through a wound, if you are still experiencing pain from that wound, I want you to go to, go to a, a leader, a good spiritual leader. Like, we're here. We have pastors that are here. And, and get help. Because the wounds that are left to fester are excruciating in your life, and they will debilitate you, and they will eventually cause you to be um, crippled, and they will eventually cause you to die. And we don't want that for you. I just want to hit, hit this point. Is that all right? Okay. I'm going to jump in You're on this point real quick. Okay. I just want to do this on, on a quick on a time for But in 1 Samuel 18, and we're talking about, we're going to continue even a little bit more on the life of David real quick. But it says, Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, Who am I? Uh, and what is my life and my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, uh, the Methodite, as a wife. Here's the thing. We, if you really look into the story here, David fought Goliath, and it says that one of, the, one of the things that happened when he fought Goliath, if he beat Goliath, what would happen? That the king's daughter would be given to him. And so here we have a circumstance, right, where David's even actually realizing he's like, he's from the wrong side of the tracks. This is something that he, he wasn't good enough for the father-in-law in this particular circumstance, right? There was a dowry that kind of needed to be paid, and he didn't have or, or feel that he was worthy to be able to be the king's daughter-in-law. So not only, you know, was there the thought process of the one towards him, but also the way that he felt because of the way that he was also raised in the rejection. So now he's got this whole, not, not only uh, future father-in-law, but a social class rejection that ends up taking place. And then it continues on. Uh, you know, even through the next part of it where, you know, eventually it says that Saul says, okay, 
I, I like this guy so much that I, I, I'm going to give my other daughter to him that, she, that she'll be a snare unto him and hopefully take, you know, hopefully take him out. And that's basically the story that ends up happening, how his daughter, uh, Michael, ends up coming into the circumstance. And so here we are in, in this circumstance where he is now walking out another layer of rejection, another layer of rejection with extended family. How, how many know, you know, coming into family circumstances with in-laws and, and brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and everything, and they're looking and they're like, you're not welcome here. You're not part of the family. I'm, you know, icing them out. Don't talk to people, et cetera. And this is exactly the type of stuff that was happening in David's life. And so, like, you know, like I said, I, I love reading the Bible. I love reading these stories because we know what happens in the end right? So I read these sto stories and these accounts with such an encouraging moment of thinking that, like, you know, if, if David could walk through every one of these things, then, you know, why can't I? You know, like, we were, we were talking this morning, and uh, we were talking about, you know, like, just God moving on our behalf and just thinking about, like, it's not about me, it's about God, right? And then the phrase came out of my mouth, and this is one of my favorite uh, lines in the Bible, is, what can mere mortals do to me? right? And I feel like this is what David had in his thought process was, you know, like, I'm God's child. What can mere mortals do to me? What can man do to me? What can people do to me? You know what? They might be able to try to hurt me. They might be able to hurt me. They might be able to take everything away, but they can't take God away. They can't take God away from you. And so here's this situation in 2 Samuel. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically, um, you know, David's child ends up rejecting him. Okay, this is 2 Samuel 15. Um, and, uh, and so here, you know, he's rejected by Absalom. Absalom goes, he's trying to overthrow the kingdom and take over and just ba basically push David out. And through this, no matter how much rejection that David went through, because when we think about it, he went through rejection from above, his, his parents. He went through rejection from around, his brothers. He went through rejection from below, his kids. He experienced rejection on every single side of the thing, but of his life. But no matter what, rejection did not stop him. He did not stop and make camp in that rejection. He overcame, and neither should we make camp in the rejection. Right. And, and I don't want to get into all of the elements of when we walk through, you know, uh, rejection, how it affects us, right? How, how it, the, there's, there's a list here, you know, even of like of guilt and inferiority, fear, hopelessness, uh, distrust, competition, jealousy, unteachableness, workaholicism, uh, perfectionism, uncorrectable, un, uh, criticalness, addictions, escapism. These are all, you know what they all are? They're all byproducts of rejection that goes on in our life. And so I want to spend a few minutes as we're wrapping up the service towards the end here today. How do we overcome rejection? Ultimately, it's not just about hearing about rejection. It's about what do we do to overcome rejection? And here's the first step. Acknowledge it. You know, one of the problems that I had, which was the biggest part of the healing process for me, when I went through being wounded when I was a teenager, when I felt rejected by my mother, and when I continued to feel the rejection afterwards, and I had a root of rejection in my life, you know what? I did not want to acknowledge the fact that I was hurt. I did not want people to know that, that they hurt me. I was, I was, my, my name means strength and strong one. And I was like, I'm going to be strong. 
I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give people the satisfaction of knowing that they hurt me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And even when, after you get hurt, I'm not gonna allow that to happen to me again. I'm strong, I'm the strong one. I'm not gonna be hurt, you're not gonna hurt me. And I didn't acknowledge, and I, and I wouldn't acknowledge, I wasn't gonna, and, and, and that carried on for, for, for a long kind of period in a season for me. And it says in God's word, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecution and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am strong. Here's the thing, it was my own pride to be able to be self-reliant and dependent on myself and my own strength. The Bible teaches us to be dependent on God, Jehovah Shasatsi, the strength of our lives. And in our own weakness, we become strong, but we have to be able to acknowledge, first of all, I was hurt. And I'm gonna tell you this, I think that that was the biggest part of the deal of actually the healing process acknowledging that somebody actually hurt me. And for some of you, that's the big deal. Do you know why I think it's the big deal? Is because if you don't acknowledge, you can't get to step two, which is we need to forgive. See, if you don't acknowledge what happened, what are you going to forgive? Right? And so we need to acknowledge what happened not so that we're like, woe is me, look at how horrible I've been treated, you know, everybody look at me, it's not about that. It's that, God, you know what, I've been hurt by this, but I'm going to cast all of my cares on you, and I'm going to choose to walk in forgiveness. The Bible talks about in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's a powerful scripture right there. Because number one, if we can't acknowledge what went on, then we can't walk in forgiveness. And if we can't walk in forgiveness, then how are we going to be, be able to experience God's forgiveness towards us, which is the whole account of be, being saved. We are saved from our sins. But if we can't walk in that forgiveness, how are we going to be forgived, forgiven, forgived <laughs> of our sins? Amen. Say number three, encourage. Say encourage. As we are recovering from rejection, first of all, we need to go to God. In 1 Samuel 36, it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughter. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Here's the thing that was happening. David just went out to battle. He just went out with his whole friends. He had all of these people who he bled with. This was his family, his spiritual family. These were the ones after everyone else rejected him. They were the misfits that came alongside of him and, and embraced him and became part of his own. These were the ones that he loved and was with day in and day out. And it says here that they turned on him in that moment and they wanted to stone him. That's another whole layer of rejection. It wasn't just the family. It was the spiritual family. It was the extended family that ended up happening in that moment. But it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. 
it was a painful moment, but he encouraged himself in the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, here it says, therefore comfort one another and edify one another just as you are doing. In the NLT, you know what it says? So encourage each other and build each other up even as you are doing. Here's the thing. Not only, first of all, do we need to be go to God and be encouraged by God, but never underestimate the ability to be able to encourage one another within the body of Christ. Never underestimate how much your words of encouragement can mean to another individual, especially when they are going through circumstances such as rejection. That's right. And then the fourth thing, the last thing that we have is accepting truth. You know, the enemy, when, when you walk through things like rejection, the enemy tries to throw lies attached to it. Right? I spoke about this earlier, like, you're no good, you're garbage anyways. He's, like, he says these kinds of things, and he tries to get people to say phrases that will speak into these lies. But what happens is that when we've walked through this process of acknowledging, forgiving, and then encouraging one another, and then we get to the point of accepting truth, we actually have to choose to believe God's word. We have to actually believe what God has said to be true. And, you know, there was um, a couple instances in my life. One of them was, you know, even when we started this church. I just come out of a, a very tough situation where I walked through a very tough rejection. And it's not that it just ended at that moment. I was still feeling the effects of it. And one of the lies that the enemy had put in my mind was nobody even likes you. They don't care about you. They don't care about who you are. They don't want to know who you are, and they would be better off without you. All these thoughts just going through my head constantly. It's the devil. And in that moment, and I, and I, w I wish I would have, I wish I could say that when those thoughts were going through my mind, that I instantly knew, you know what, that's the enemy speaking to me, and I'm just going to kick him out tell him to go back to where he belongs. But you know what? It's like little by little, things would happen. One more person would be like, you know what? I believe you're an evil person. And they would use phrases like that. I believe you're an evil per person. And it would just kind of um, feel like it was solidifying the rejection inside that I was worthless. And then when we decided that we were going to start the church, that was my biggest fear. I said, God, I can't do this because I can't walk through any more rejection. And if we get there on the first day and nobody shows up, nobody wants to be a part of what you're doing, I don't think I can survive that. And you know what God said? A couple things. Number one, he said, it's not about you. And if you can promise me, which he said you did promise me, and I remember this moment, if you do it for the one, then you do it forever. And I said, okay, God, if one person shows up, then it's worth it. And you know what he said to me? You're there. You're one person. So have at it. And that day that we started the church, that very first service, I walked in and then people started coming in and coming through the doors and coming through the doors. And every person that came through the doors, I heard God say, see all those lies? They were lies. Every time that somebody said, you're an evil person, it was just the enemy speaking. See, all these people are behind you. All these people are with you in what God is doing. 
I am with you. Never forget that. And there was so much healing that took place in that moment when I decided to accept his words over the words that were spoken to me. And you know what? I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that in that moment, the thoughts never came back up. Because they did come back up. But at that point, my eyes were open to see that, you know what? No, enemy, you don't have control over my life. You don't get to speak that into my life. You don't get to influence my life. I live for God. No matter what man can do to me, I live for God. Why don't we all stand up for a moment as we close up this service. In Ephesians 1, 6, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons of Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Here's the thing. God has accepted you. You may have lived a life full of rejection, being unwanted, being the afterthought, but God declares to you this day that you are wanted. He declares to you this day that you are loved. God wants you. He believes in you. He's accepted you into his family. You are now the adopted and heirs of God Almighty. And as Pastor Sherry said, when the lies of the enemy come your way, in 2 Corinthians, it says, casting down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We are accepted. You need to, we need to acknowledge that people have hurt us. We need to forgive people who have hurt us. We need to be encouraged by one another. And we need to know that we are accepted, that we are loved, and that we are wanted. I want to pray this morning. I'm going to have Pastor Sherry pray. But I just believe that people today, they need to be healed. And when you're praying today, I don't want you to just pray a generic prayer. I want you to release the people that have hurt you. Acknowledge, for some of you, that's the big deal. Acknowledge that you've been hurt. After we pray, if you need to come down and you need more ministry at the altars, if you need to just talk about it for a moment, I'll have some pastors that are up here. We will pray with you because we love you. But here's the thing. If you let that wound continue underneath the surface festering, you might be able to survive in life, but you're not going to be able to do what you're called to do. You're not going to be able to function in your spiritual life the way that you've been called. You need to take care of the wound that's sitting underneath the surface. If you break a root off, but you don't pull it out from the core, the root will grow back. It will always be a sensitivity. It'll always be an issue. But we need to be able to uproot it once and for all and move forward. Rejections will happen. But we don't need to have a root of rejection dictating our lives and dehabilitating us from being able to do what we need to do. Go ahead. Father, we just thank you for who you are, God.
I thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us that we are chosen and that we are accepted by you. Father, I thank you for what you have gone through on the cross so that we could walk through rejection and not let it debilitate us, Father. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that even though we walk through the fire, that we will not be burned. And as we walk through the waters, that we will not drown today, Father. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your hand is upon our lives right now, that your healing virtue is flowing through us from the top of our head to the tips of our toes, that the wounds that have been festering on the inside, that they would just begin to be healed and released right now in Jesus' name. I want you to say this with me. I release it in Jesus' name. I release it to God. What can mere mortals do to me in Jesus' name? Amen. Don't let this moment pass you by. We're going to dismiss the service, but if you need prayer, you need to healing, you need to talk, you need encouragement, come on up to the altars. We'll pray for you. For everyone else, you are dismissed. We love you. We care for you. And I ask you to have the best and blessed day of the rest of your lives. Amen.